Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Astrocytes. This is a short bulletin, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So, many of my physical setbacks and disappointments have been ably soothed by the dexterous application of cool toys and expensive contraptions. Even if the wireless earphones I bought when I got out of the nuthouse aren't FDA-approved for much of anything, they have tipped the scales ever so gently from the subterranean pits of deprivation towards something resembling fulfillment. But today, we have something else to talk about, which is the classical presentation of multiple sclerosis and how it almost invariably includes some kind of what's called dystonia, when your muscles stop working, or neuropathy, when your nerves stop working. And that usually leads to unexpected bouts of falling. Uh, that was part of my problem back in 2011 when things began, but it receded with my first clinical episode, and medication seemed to keep the worst of my symptoms away for years. But nothing lasts forever, and over the past few years I've had more frequent problems with my walking. Last year, I needed to walk with crutches or a cane for the first time in my life. I used some sort of prop for several months straight. Uh, the need would come and go, but uh, lately it seems to have swung almost entirely in the direction of unrestrained mobility. So I was surprised that in the past couple of weeks I've started falling a lot. Say I try to get up from a chair, and if I don't catch myself on a nearby table or sturdy lamp, I'm lucky just to be on carpeting when I go down. And I tend to go down hard. But back to the cane, um, I, and to using one more inanimate functional object as some sort of political design statement. Well, let me tell you about my first cane. It was uh, a serviceable black aluminum model from Rite Aid. But the blonde wood number I twirl up and down the avenues these days was handcrafted with love and Canadian attention to detail. It has a smartly designed rubber shoe and a matching silicone grip in the official Pantone shade of MS Orange. There is something to be said for keeping up appearances, and while I'm not trying to impress anyone in particular these days, it would be nice to present myself in a less conspicuous manner. But the fact is that I cannot function under any circumstances when I'm outdoors if there's going to be direct sunlight of any kind or temperatures above the high 70s unless I don a fetching waistcoat lined with pockets holding half a dozen large ice packs. Alas, if all it took to render me more like your average fair-skinned bookish 30-year-old was a few pounds of frozen water, a large-brimmed hat, and an overpriced stick my dilemma would be less vexing. Unfortunately, sometimes even a cane isn't sufficient, because while I may be able to walk, my range will be very limited. It can take at least three times as much effort for me to perform basic tasks on a hot day, and that means I have one-third the capacity to do anything at all. And then there are the consequences of pushing things too far, of letting the ice packs melt, of trying to just sit for a little while in an unair-conditioned bar, of taking the subway in the hopes of saving even a few dollars here and there. Some days, 30 seconds too much time spent on an infernal train platform tapping my toes and cursing my old friend, the R-Train, 
is enough to make me pass out. It is an extremely steep curve from functioning as well as possible given inclement weather to being unable to walk or even to remember what a metro card is for. There must be something about enjoying your life and spending time with the people you love in their natural habitat because there's little I won't try to get a few more minutes of the simplest pleasures. Even when I feel capable of walking the dogs with the help of a cane, if I can't drive them down to the dog park because I know my legs aren't stable enough, then they're stuck with a crummy neighborhood walk that day. And while there are parks within walking distance of our house, if I can barely make it out on foot, I won't be able to have fun with the dogs once we're there. And I may not even be able to walk back home. Every time I feel that I've turned a corner with this disease, I'm thrust into another vicious game with no winners. Around this time last year, I was just starting back at work. By November, I would be in the hospital again, and less than five months later, I would be filing a legal complaint against my boss. And I worked tirelessly to get this MS medicine called rituximab. The studies all agreed that it is both the most effective treatment for MS. Some studies had in the high 90s percentages of participants with no relapses or lesions over two years and that rituximab is usually accompanied with literally no side effects. So you could forgive me for getting excited for what every article in Google Scholar call the magic bullet for MS. It hasn't worked out that way so far for me. For whatever reason, this second rituximab infusion course has left me with a handful of serious opportunistic infections. That's a known risk with this medicine, to be sure, but it's one my neurologist and hematologist were completely unable to help me avoid even when I asked them point blank. Because rituximab, and its hot younger sibling, ocrelizumab, is the best therapy with the fewest side effects, compared especially to a drug called Lemtrada, then there's methotrexate, which gives you cancer, and interferon, which is horribly unpleasant and doesn't even work, so I will probably continue to take it unless I absolutely have to quit. If this is the disease under the universally accepted gold standard of care, what might happen with a weaker T is more terrifying than any infection. That is, as long as the amoxicillin still works. Writing about all these endings, these terrible cursed blows which pile up two at a time these days, I am struck by what it's taken to survive so far. I was living in Bushwick with a couple of lovebird submetal roomies when I found the answer to my extremely frequent urination, painful tingling and stiffness in my hands, and the sudden unreliability of my legs. But it didn't really hit me until a few months later as the first episode played itself out through months of debilitating fatigue and medication trial and error that I was really stuck with this thing. No matter how good the medicine becomes, I don't believe that I'll live long enough to see them totally cure it. But what I need to find out is what I'm doing by summoning memories old and recent to serve what I'm not really comfortable calling art. Throwing one's most horrifying memories and darkest fears onto the wall with a 70mm projector is a necessary condition of releasing nagging and exceedingly painful memories from our everyday experiences. I am not certain what must accompany it yet, but I know that applying the Robert Caro approach to events which happened sooner than 40 years ago 
is a dangerous and losing proposition. Nevertheless, you can see some of the profundity of my conflict with the unpredictable expression of this extremely nimble and unforgiving disease. Traveling express to the throbbing, uneven, and abraded heart of my id will place one squarely in front of the kind of fears which dwarf all other thoughts. There's no avoiding the natural course of this disease among most people, and while I am extremely dismayed to suffer yet another painful indignity this quarter, I can't say that I'm surprised. The fine print on every sanctified serving of Theta Ceron or Gelenia or Rituxan is that the data on the effect of these drugs on the eventual disability of a given patient is quite thin. Even if you don't have any new lesions or symptoms during the time you're taking a drug, as soon as you stop taking it or it stops working, your underlying disease progression will be exposed. And the longer you can't find a drug to help you, the quicker you'll progress. Eventually, we will have to create an astrocytes catchphrase for this, but suffice it to say, neurology is hardly more reliable or consistent than psychiatry in its pharmacopoeia. Alright, this has been a special falling down bulletin from astrocytes. Please subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes if you haven't yet. And if you're moved to write or review the program, well, I'd be swell. New York Thanks a lot. Is in New York without you, love. So far in a few blocks to be so low.